Hi, what's up, Chalkers? Welcome to the Let's Chalk About It podcast. If you're new to fitness or just want to hang with some like-minded fitness folk, then this is the place for you. Remember, it's always good to chalk about it. Hello and welcome to another episode of Let's Chalk About It. I am joined, as always, by Interruptus Maximus, Chris McKenzie, and Captain Jacked, Scott Carson. And this week, I'm going to try and reel off all the things. So, former Marine, former rugby player, record holder, all-round endurance athlete, Jack Fleckney. Hello, man. How are we doing? You okay? How about how are you? Awesome, yeah. Thank you very much for having me on. It's good to uh, well meet you all guys properly and uh, and hear about the good things you've been up to. It's an absolute honour to have you on. Um, this is the first time we have ever had a record holder on this podcast, so it is a first for us as well. No, thank you very much. So, well, I tell you what. Well, let's just dive straight in on onto the the um, record to start with, because I think that's the thing that a lot of people are very interested in. Is you know we've not had a record holder on, so for us as well, it'd be interesting to sort of go down that route of how you got into it, what, how it become, you know, how it developed as something you wanted to do? Yeah, of course. Well, I think uh, I've had a background of doing lots of stupid challenges before, whether it be for charity or um, to drum up interest about some of the things I've been up to. So it was sort of a natural step to leading towards doing it. And I've built experience of dealing with some of those different hardships that we, you find yourself in when you're trying some of these endurance-based records. And then literally during that first lockdown, I've been so busy, it was something to work towards. And I wanted something to train towards and go, yeah, I'm going to go gun for that. Had the idea of doing the ski erg, I didn't use it that much. So, and I've done something before, I've done 88,000 meters on it before. And it was horrendous because I didn't know about nutrition or anything. We were talking about eating earlier, Chris, and uh, I really struggled with it. I felt dizzy, I, you know, right at the end I was nearly collapsing just because I hadn't eaten anything. I'd literally just skied and non-stop and just gone for it, so it was horrendous. So the idea of learning to do 24 hours and and giving myself something that made me feel a bit nervous, I knew the challenge was going was to be really tough to get, was good. And it sort of linked in, I was supporting a charity during the time called the Saints Foundation and they work with kids in, in the Northamptonshire area where you guys are from as well and specifically quite a lot of kids from Corby as well. So they worked with them and during the first lockdown it was it absolutely nailed them because they lost all their investment any kind of funding so they were really panicking about whether the business the business and the charity could continue to help the kids so from knowing some of them it was like well let's do this let's give it a go and by it being a world record people are more interested so they buy into it a little bit more and obviously in turn uh, donated money and we ended up raising i think just over seven thousand pounds for them which help them through a month or two to keep going and now you know now they're going strong so it was worth it nice one Seven thousand, good work it was it was a good lesson in terms of how to push it out and let everyone know about it i've been historically terrible at using any kind of social media so i've been working pretty hard over the last month or two now to hopefully try and tell the story a little bit more about some of the things i've done and got coming up yeah, so sort of, sorry go on chris I was going to say that sort of set the foundation and it's like obviously had a massive imprint in your mind because you're going, hang on, things that are like attractive and people want to watch, it's obviously just draws a massive amount of attention that probably like spoke volumes to you, didn't it? Oh, it did, mate. Massively, yeah. Yeah, I saw the power of it in terms of being able to help others as well. So uh, I think historically I haven't used the media platforms for that reason because I haven't, I was never really interested in not in a bad way, but I was never really interested in what other people wanted to see what I've been up to. And also for my own mental health, I didn't actually like using social media. So I stayed away from it quite a bit. Right. But now I sort of understand the power of it and the need to use it in order to actually do what my mission, which is actually hopefully to look back in 20, 30 years and think, you know, I use maybe one or two of my skills I've got to help other people and make a real difference. that hopefully I can feel proud of. Yeah epic yeah i mean you should feel massively proud of the number i think it was 283,131 meters achieved in 24 hours well 23 hours and 15 minutes so you still had 45 minutes left yes and yeah. still smashed the record oh thank you mate yeah well i think we to be honest, i had a game plan for it so funny story really so i announced i did it and we had a meeting like on zoom like this with the charity and i was like yeah great and the record was sad something like 240 I got off and I was like, I'll have a little check on and see, you know, just check, just to make sure. 
And literally that, that day, someone had beaten the world record by like another marathon and took it up to like 277, I think it was. Oh my God. And I was like, oh, you're kidding me. Because I had a whole game plan built towards doing 250. I thought that's achievable. I think I can, I can you know, yeah, it'll be hard, but I can do it. So then obviously that completely changed the game plan. But what happened was I, I'm, I'm sure we'll probably delve into it about mindset and doing these things. My, my game plan was I broke into hour blocks and into, and into six hour blocks. So every hour had to complete a certain distance for the first six hours. And then the distance got a little bit lower for the next six, then a little bit lower and a little bit lower. So all it meant was that every time I got through six hours, it was like, yes, I've only, I've, now the distance is a little bit lower. So it made me feel like I was getting ahead of the game and winning. I did the first six hours and I felt really good. And I was like, I'm going to hold that distance and keep chipping at it. And, I, and then I got to the 12 hours and I was like, you know what, we're going for it. I'm going to hold out. If I crash, I'll crash. I'm going to see if I can hold that pace. And did that. I got to the 18 hour point. I thought, I'm going to keep going. I've got this. I can go to 300,000 meters. And with about four hours to go, uh, I just held the same pace every hour. I had some kind of, I don't know whether it was some kind of muscular or intercostal muscle issue in my left, like left side, where it literally stopped me lifting my arm up. Because every time I lifted my elbow up, I got like this real severe like stabbing pain in the back of my scap. It was so, probably something probably quite like trivial, like your heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably good, nothing so. to worry about. It's just your heart stopping working altogether. It probably, yeah, it probably was. So this right here is like it was a heart attack, is what it was, I think. <laughs> it probably was. That could be that could be another good story for a podcast, wouldn't it? But uh, yeah, so I, I, I ended up not being able to lift my hand up. So for the last four hours, I had to do it with one hand. So, um, so yeah, so that, it was a bit disappointing. But I was, so that, that sort of helped the first 18 hours or 20 hours of going relatively, relative, or pushing myself relatively hard, it, it did pay dividends towards the end. Is that just to add an insult to injury of the person who beat the record that you just did the last four hours one-handed as well? <laughs> <laughs> no, bro, I didn't do it on purpose, I promise. <laughs> well, if they weren't annoyed before. Because I'm sure we'll delve into this as well, but I, I, I don't really get that much fulfilment from doing these things. And it personally, I do feel fulfilled from helping others, but I finish these, I look at it, I'm like, well, that weren't very good. I could have done better. And it, that was very much like that because of the having to go to single arm or the, uh, or, you know, dropping down on the, the aim distance. But yeah, well, I was happy to get it. And obviously we, we got the main aim, which was to get it and raise money. So from a, from a training point of view, how did you start your journey into that, that record then? I mean, from a nutrition and a training point of view, was there a lot of things you had to change, a lot of things you had to adapt to? Um, no, not really. Do you, do you want to go like, well, short term, uh, I said I was going to do it and I hadn't really, I had, I think I had eight weeks till the, till the date when I sort of decided I was going to go for it. Um, so in terms of nutrition, no, nothing. The only, the only thing I did was I planned what I was going to eat and made sure I had enough food to eat and a few variations because when you do these endurance style events, it's funny how your body reacts. And so I'll, you know, this is people were messaging me going, well, just recently when I did that YouTube video, like, what do you eat? And during the 24 hours, the main thing I ate was every, pretty much nearly every hour, I had those McCain's microwavable chips, uh, just with loads of salt on. <laughs> sodium, <laughs> sodium, I'm telling you. When I was doing it, that's all I fancied. That's all I sort of wanted. Um, other than that, you know, I had little bits like, um, it's just about calories during the event. You just got to eat calories and calories and calories and, and get as much in as possible because I, tr I trialed it out with the training. All I did, and very much like you guys do your lifting, it's like linear progression. So you just add a little bit more stimulus every single time. So I started off by, I ski skied a marathon. So I did like 40, 42,000 meters on it and I had a pace I sat at. Then I said, right, now I'm going to try and do 100,000. Then I'm going to try and do 120, 150. And I think I probably ended up doing maybe like 20 sessions in the lead up. And I just mixed it up a bit. I did some silly sessions where I'd do, I'd ski a marathon and then run 20 miles and just to mix it up and make it a bit different for me. And then uh, I think the, and then the main bits I did were four hours on the ski, then eight hours, then 12 hours. And I've got like a 50% rule with any of these challenges. And it's, if I can do 50% of it in training, I can usually do it in the event. So I can do the whole lot. 
So yeah. I, and after you've done about 50% of those kind of 24 hours events, you know, you've done 12 hours. That, at the end of that, it's about getting nutrition and mindset right. It's not about your physical ability to deal with that. So yeah, it was. I made a mistake during the eight hours where I went really fast and I didn't eat very much and I massively crashed. I sat down for a few minutes, ate loads of food, and about ten minutes later I felt like normal again. So it was a good lesson where I just during the twenty-four hours I just made myself eat every every wow. hour. A little yeah. break. So I'm intrigued because a lot of your sports are obviously very extreme end of things from an endurance point of view. Um, I was watching your video that you did with the roastery. It was talking about when you said about wanting to join the Marines and how it was um, the longest basic training. And that was a flag to you that stood out. Now I'm intrigued to know like, what is it that drives that extreme that, that, you know, the, the things that are pulling you in from a, it has to be really challenging point of view. Um, yeah. Do you know what? This is actually something I've been trying to dive into myself. And I think, you know, we're, we're all in a constant, um, constant flow of trying to find more about ourselves and find out why we think the way we do so for me it's i, I get bored really really quickly so and I, if i'm not playing the playstation or something <laughs> yeah well this is it so if if i'm not being challenged then I, I can't do it so like if you gave me a menial task and i was i, I knew i could do it and it was just like i'd, I'd probably start doing it i'd get bored really quickly and I think there's something naturally that pushed me towards trying to make myself better and also challenge myself. So I think that's probably where it all comes from. How it all started, I'm probably not sure. And then, you know, it's just slowly evolved into what it has now. It started off when I was really young, um, wanting to just push myself to get better. Um, and I enjoyed that process. And then I sort of enjoyed the process of trying to, you know, throw big challenges at myself and accomplish them or not. And I think as I got a bit older, I realized that it didn't matter if I failed or not. It was more so the opportunity just to go after them and get them done. I seen early on that you, um, your, I think it was one of your other uh, your video that you recently put out was about your dad saying about you doing pull-ups. Yeah. And you then decided that, well, just because you can do any, you were going to go out at nighttime, you were going to start practicing, you were going to do some jumping pull-ups. Is that kind of one of them factors? Or do you think that maybe where it all started that you sort of did want to drive you into doing these sort of things? Yeah, that was definitely a start for my for my fitness um, in terms of getting into, you know, I, I probably at that age, I was playing rugby. I was only young, so I was playing rugby, but I wasn't, you know, into any kind of fitness stuff. I just enjoyed doing sport and I wasn't the sportiest either. Like I've not come from any kind of elite background of sport before I started doing them. So parents weren't in, really into the sports or anything. It was more that, uh, yeah, we were at that park and I remember him doing it. My dad did a pull up um, on the pull up bar or the swings, what they were. And then he said, You do one. I couldn't do one. And I remember literally, I think it was that night I went down there when it got dark and started practicing. And I actually just really, and then this is probably a key, and it's a bit like you guys, your training. I just enjoyed it. So I enjoyed going down there late at night and doing press ups. And naturally, you know, I was doing what we all do as training. I was just slowly making it a little bit harder and pushing myself. And that's where then I think the fitness journey started because it started off where I'd do it there. Then I started going for runs and then I'd run to the park and do all stuff. And it just slowly evolved and I started going to the gym. So that was definitely the start of the fitness journey for me. Cool. I mean, um, you were also in the Marines as well, which was um, obviously very, I'm guessing, guessing quite exciting um, and had a lot of uh, interesting journeys. Is there any sort of particular things that stick out for you that when you were part of the Marines? I was really lucky uh, in terms of opportunity that I had when I was in. So I, I joined, I went through like selection, which is about nine months, if you're not counting all the pre-selection bits, when I was between the age of 17 and 18, going through, going through that training. So I was very young. I think I, I loved training. It was an awesome experience to um, be in that sort of elite environment and, and a really high pressure because if you're not good enough, you're out. It's, it's probably a little bit different um, to, to your standard military groups where sort of they're going to try and get you through it and they will shout at you to get you through it. With, with Marine training, it's very much if you're not good enough, you're, you're out. So, yeah, I was um, I really love training. And then when I, when I passed out of training and I joined my commando unit, which, which was any ex-Marines listening, it was 40 commando. We literally, I was there for two or three weeks. We then just deployed out straight away. And after that, I think for 
So I was in for five years and I'd say probably nearly four years of them. I was away doing different things, whether it be, I think in my first year, I think I visited something along the lines of 12 different countries. Uh, and then after that, it just evolved to going different tours and going all over the place. So I, I was really lucky and I definitely learned a lot from being around some yeah, really incredible people. Amazing. Have you read um, jo um, Jocko Willink's book? I have, yes, I have. Which one? Extreme Ownership. Yeah, really good book, isn't it? You like it? Yeah, I, I, I do like it. Just <laughs> the way you said that, Chris. Like, I know, like I know. I, was, I don't know why I said like that. <laughs> Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, I did. I thought, um, I thought it was very relevant. And obviously, I know it comes from a very military background. So maybe not so many people can understand the principle of it. But I thought it was really well written. And yeah, no, very interesting. Actually, funny enough, it's one of the books I try and uh, make some of the leaders within the business read as some of their learning. You like the example with the, the boat train? I don't know if you went, in, you went through anything similar with your experience. You, do you remember the story with the... the no, on, if you, yeah, if you say it. No. Yeah, so you've got, they had teams of these boat trainers, like a really um, significant part of their marine training. Is it Marines that you would have gone through? Uh, who's Navy SEALs, yeah. SEALs, Seals. that was it, sorry, yeah, Navy SEALs. The American side of it, yeah. Yeah, so they would have had these, like, say, like six boat teams, six chaps for, um, per boat, and they've got to do this race. They've got to carry the boat out, and they're not allowed to get in it. They've just got to sort of paddle with it and get it back. And then the weakest team they would pick the leader from there and say well how are you getting on and they would find that maybe they're complaining they're not happy about losing all the time and they said well let's see if it's about leadership or if it's about your performance so they swapped the best boat leader with the worst and then they sent them back out and then lo and behold the the better leader was able to draw that out of his men and they were able to then start winning the races just because they sort of started swapping leaders around and i think that's like one of the best stories i took from the book but it just sort of sprung up in my mind because you started talking about your experience with the marines yeah i, I and that, that that is very very true and actually one thing i look back and realized that when i went through training and through all the different bits i did i was very young so i wasn't mature enough to understand those leadership principles probably but now in hindsight i look back and i and i spent some time with some incredible and some poor leaders in the military wow. which enabled me probably now to understand how i want to communicate to people and how i want to work and probably how i want to you know behave and be and and be around others and help them lead but it's so true the way where your mannerisms are will dictate the environment the situation that you're trying to trying to lead so yeah very true what does a what does a good leader look like Oof, I think it's very, um, it's very different based on each individual. And also, I think a good leader has the ability to adapt to the group around them. So, you know, we'll look at, say, us four here. The way we might do a, get after a challenge might be very different if I had another three guys working with me or girls or whoever. So the, a good leader has the ability probably to engage all audiences that they're working with and motivate them to work hard for the leader. Um, there's obviously principles that I have and that I've built in, whether and we can probably talk about, about number one, just being a good guy and caring for every, every person that, that is with you and working with you. Uh, little things, for instance, like uh, you have you heard about like the New Zealand All Blacks and some of their principles? You may have probably, I know you spoke yeah. about but things like uh, not maybe not scott and kieran don't have like rugby back but I'm, I'm, they do know the all blacks like how elite they are and how okay, they're yeah, performing. So, yeah they've got some really cool leadership principles one of them's called clean the sheds so their principle is basically no matter how good you think you are or how high up you think you are you still you know you're not good at you you can always clear, clean the sheds out so after the game when they used to finish the games and change rooms are a mess the captain and the leader leadership group would clean the changing rooms before they left. And it's just a small principle that again, you know, whether it be, no matter what, I'd be the first one to put my hand up to go and do extra work or go and do something to help others out. So I think there's a, there's that, that side to leadership in terms of your own individual principles. And I think there's, you know, there's so much we could talk about there in terms of where you communicate. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I love leadership and I, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to learn more and apply into different environments. Epic, yeah. We could have went on and on, but I just thought I'd get like a quick uh, snippet yeah. of what you thought. So, um, following the Marines, is that uh, right in saying that you left the Marines and then wanted to follow more of the CrossFit side of things, which is where Shirefit come into it? 
Yes, yeah, I think my my love of fitness uh, sort of fueled that. When I was in the Marines, I started training quite a lot. When I when we were home, we we didn't have much to do and have a lot of time to train. So I was obviously I was playing rugby at the time in, in the forces, and then I was also doing lots of fitness training. So yeah, I started to compete in CrossFit competitions and was uh probably getting to the point where i was competing at a high level around europe and 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 the uk so naturally that sort of led me towards training lots and then i started to coach a few people just help them it was very much just like ad hoc helping people out and the one thing that i wasn't getting from being in the military was the 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 fuel to help people so we were going on deployments and things and doing different jobs and i always felt that the stuff we were doing wasn't really making a huge difference and also it was put you know it was risking a lot of people's lives and those situations so whereas when i started coaching someone i actually saw something in front of my eyes where they were getting physically better and they were really enjoying it so it was a good fuel for me and that's that's the process where in my mind i was like i've done stuff i wanted to do in the forces now i'd love the challenge and seeing if i could try and do something like grow a gym or coach people so that was the process. So, yeah, literally, I remember, I think I came back to, I think I've been out, of, out in America doing some training with the US Marines out there for a few months. And I came back and I remember handing my notice in, had to work a year's notice. And during that year, I literally just started planning, 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 ready to you know open a gym. When I handed my notice in, I didn't know I wanted to open a gym, but I knew I wanted to get into fitness very much like you guys are into and then after that, I had him notice and planned it all. And I thought, well, Jim's the natural avenue for me to go along. Oh, and it's, uh, I believe it or not, it's uh, five years, I think, this year, isn't it, that the Trifit have started? Yeah, five, just over five years now, yeah. Yeah, so six years since I left and just over five now that the gym's been running, yeah. And how many have you currently got running? We've got four locations running now. So, yeah, we've got uh, two in Northamptonshire, one up in Leeds, and then one in Wolverhampton as well. Cool, I'm a right in saying that you're stepping away from the gym side of things now because you've got a lot of other things coming up that you want to concentrate on yeah so very much like then when i sort of made that transition i'm now going for another transition so i'm currently selling the gyms that i own to independent owners which is very exciting because it's going to give them the opportunity to do something they love uh, with a membership base already there in a community and really help evolve that uh, and they're going to get the support from max who's now stepping in as the the owner and ceo of ShireFit as the HQ and umbrella uh, supporting all of the individual gyms. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm literally going through that transition right now. So it's a, it's a very busy, crazy time, but also uh, pretty exciting. Sounds great. Um, that sounded really bad, didn't it? I mean, I sound like that. It does sound great. <laughs> it sounded, it sound, that sounds great. What that, what that was meant to be was, that's a great way of moving on to the things that you've got coming up. So I believe you are actually going for a, another record mm. um, in the future, which is the uh, chin-up record in 24 hours. That is correct, that's correct, yeah. Um, and how many, so what numbers are you looking at for that? Well, the record, I think, is about just over 5,000, so 5,300, I believe, in the 24 hours. Have which, you put it down into numbers. Head. Sorry, say that again? Sorry, if you put it, yeah, if you put it down into numbers, I believe it's about averaging about five chin-ups every minute for 24 hours. Okay. Have you ever been tested for mental health? <laughs> yes. Yeah, which again, I'm sure we can delve into, yes. <laughs> yeah. So have you got a fixed number? Like, have you got like a goal you want to try and hit for the sort of totaling or no, just going to go yet. for it? Just going to do what you did last time? You're going to do a couple of one-handed ones or are we just going to... No, unfortunately, yeah. I, haven't got the, I haven't got the strength to do a one-handed one. But no, we're going to, uh, as I build up, I'll slowly start to build a goal into it because we've probably got about nine, nine weeks until I, I would do it. So, yeah, as we evolve, I'll, I'll start to look at it and see what is realistic and what I think I can try and achieve with it. But no, no goal at the minute. The goal, obviously, is to beat, try and beat the world record. This, I, I picked this one because traditionally, all the challenges I've done in the past have been well suited to my physical abilities so as an example just doing stuff where it's just like cardio just suffering through it get through it this is not good for me because i sit 100 kilos and i've got a really i've got really long arms so you would naturally not say i would do something like this which is the reason i've chosen to do it because it's going to hopefully 
push me to limits there's a high likelihood of me failing it which would hopefully be excited for or exciting for you guys to watch and follow along and then if i do do it it'll be you know it'll good it'll be a good opportunity for me and uh, and hopefully get some good engagement for the charities that we're working with cool what um do you want to go into the charities a little bit more so we can at least get some coverage from that what sort of charity you're looking to work with this year yeah, so I've got two avenues of charities I'm going to work with. So the first one is military charities. So I've done a lot for in the past for different military charities. Uh, obviously, usually mainly towards a mental health aspect and support. So that's what I, we'll talk again about in a bit. But one of the things I'm doing, we, we're doing for something called Walking with the Wounded, which is a charity which support military personnel when they've left the military or in transition of leaving the military, because it is a big jump. And a lot of us, and I, I definitely don't appreciate it until I made that jump. And I was very lucky that I probably had a bit of a support network behind me that allowed me to do that transition. But I even had hardships where I was like, what have I done? And the story for me was I had a unit actually in Kettering ready to go to open a gym. And I handed my ID card and on the drive home from, from the camp to drive home as a civilian, I got a phone call to say they've pulled out the deal. They don't want you a gym in the building anymore. So I went from thinking I was opening a gym in a few weeks time to suddenly not having a building. And I remember that literally, I think a week later, I had to go to um, one of like the careers kind of offices where they sort of try and find your agency jobs. And I, and I was working in a warehouse counting socks. And I'd just gone from being in, being a Royal Marine commando, you know, working with the elite in small groups to suddenly working in a warehouse counting socks. And I was like, what have I done? And I, I was down in the dumps thinking I've made a mistake here. And it was, oh my God. I now I laugh about it, but it, it, I know when I was doing it, it was a huge motivator to say, I'm going to open the gym. But now it made me realize actually I was lucky in the sense of I was very, very driven. I had a goal to work towards, so I could carry on doing it. I could have kept working at a warehouse if I had to for as long as I could to get the gym open. Whereas I know a lot of people don't have that, that support or know their direction. A lot of people leave the military with, with mental health um, issues or problems that maybe they hadn't had the opportunity to sort out until they'd left. So this is what our charity do. They support right down to finding jobs to, to just to be in someone there to talk to. But then the, you know, the whole transition I'm going through is actually to, to hopefully use some of my skills and love of exploration and fitness just to help and make a difference. And the other big difference for me is children's charities. So that's going to be my main avenue is going to be targeting a vast array of different children's charities. So we're looking at the minute supporting uh, the foundation, which are doing their, their role is basically to support children that maybe aren't right for the school, for the for schools, or for instance, kids that have been groomed into gangs or had problems from a real young age, uh, maybe not got family support networks and things. And they basically try and give them an opportunity for the future when it goes to education, jobs, support. So I'm doing stuff with them, but there's, there's going to be a lot of different children charities that I'll be working with in the near future, uh, especially with some of the bigger challenges I've had. Oh, that, that is absolutely amazing. And uh, something that we cover quite often on this podcast that comes up quite a lot is mental health. Um, so if there is anything we can do from a you know promotion point of view or anything like that, then by all means, please give us a shout. We'll obviously put all your links below um, of any of the charities you're currently supporting. So if anyone wants to go there and donate, they can do that straight off this video. I really appreciate that, mate. I'm sure we'll, we'll have to get you guys involved with some of the challenges that maybe some of the chin-ups and uh, a bit of running through the desert with me, maybe. Yeah, I'll happily film, mate. That's actually fine. <laughs> I, I will do one chin-up in 24 hours. How about that? <laughs> it's a feat. <laughs> Chris, are you in? Any more than five? Ben, challenge me any day. Let's do it, whatever it is. Awesome. Cool. So on top of the um, 24 hours of uh, chin-ups and probably all the other training you're doing. You're also training, and I'm going to try and say this correctly, for the Marathon de Sables. Is that right? Yeah, sounds like right. I'm honest with you. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not even sure if I'm saying it correctly, but I did get told I was saying it right last week. So, yeah, that's how you say it. Yeah, yeah. that, that event is a multi-day event across the Sahara Desert. It's basically a race across the Sahara Desert. It's about 250 kilometres. Uh, it's been... It is called the toughest race on earth. And it's something I've been really interested in actually when I was in the military and wanted to do it, but I didn't have the funds. I didn't have the money to do it all the time. So when, when the event was on, I was often away somewhere. And yeah, I think it, it's appealed to me just because of 
that environment, the idea of going to the desert to do something like that. And actually like the idea of doing it is quite scary. So it's sort of, it, again, it just motivated me to have a go for it. And again, it's a good opportunity to hopefully raise some money for, for the military charity that's supporting me through the event. And I'm right in saying you said it was 250 kilometers. Yeah. In, in 50 the degree heat in the desert. Oh, well, the heat is the, heat is the funny thing, right? Because I, I, I'm born for the cold. I walk around in shorts and T-shirt all year round. So when I get to the heat, I am, I, yeah, no, I am. Shorts not... all year round. That, the fact that you said that, respect. That is, yes. <laughs> all year round. Everyone, everyone needs to live by that. <laughs> I think that's the rugby player in me, maybe. But yeah, well, it is. heat is going to be the challenge. So I have slowly started to try and get used to that. But that that'll be one of the I think the main markers that, I'll, that will, will will hit me hardest will be the heat. Is that treadmill in the sauna, or I mean, you ain't gonna get much heat over here, are you? No, that's correct. Yeah, so I'm doing really simple things at the minute, like wearing layers. Just so I'm literally wearing like a really thick hoodie when I've been doing some runs. Not a huge amount yet, but just doing some. So like I think the longest I've done, I ran a half marathon. I think last week. I think it was in that YouTube video. I think where I wore a, a wore a hoodie for it, but. And that just like makes such a big difference to how uncomfortable it feels when you wear those kind of layers. Like it'd be like when you see boxes and things for when they're trying to lose weight and sweat it out. So that, and then uh, I'll probably try and get some heat chamber sessions in. So I know there's some local places like Loughborough and things that have got a heat chamber where you can practice that. And then other than that, we just got to go and go over there and just see if we can crack it and just deal with it. you can do 50%, right? Exactly, yeah. So I'm just going to do half the temperature. <laughs> half the temperature half the distance you're all good to go yes exactly what, um how much is your kit going to weigh because um, one of our lecturers did marathon de Saab and he sort of made like one a whole lecture on it it was interesting and um he had all his kit laid out and he sort of said well the best in the world carry about six kilos with them that's mm -hmm. all their kit so what what were you looking at for your all the stuff you're going to be actually carrying yeah so i haven't actually looked into the logistics of uh, of all that stuff yet but okay you know, you, but, but it's a really good point because obviously there's a lot of planning some of these events in terms of what you're going to carry, drink, food, kit-wise and things. You've got to carry your stuff to be able to sleep that night. And obviously in the desert, it does get cold at night. So that's one of the biggest things people don't realise is actually the worst thing about the desert is the, is the change in temperature. So when I used to go away in the military, it was the biggest shock for me. I think the coldest I ever got to was something like minus 15 in the desert. And then the yeah. next day, it's boiling hot again. So you need to be able to adapt with the temperature change. So you've got that element, the kit you carry and then the food. The one benefit, obviously, most of these guys that do that, maybe like your lecturer, they're usually really slim and very, very light. He must have been, with, with his kit on and carrying a rugby bag, he would have been about 65 kilos. So he was a, he was a tiny chap, really thin. He looked, he looked like kind of like, um, do you remember the film uh, A Bug's Life? He looked like Flick. Oh, okay, like yes. Yeah, really thin. Yeah. <laughs> like, like a lot of endurance athletes, they've got massive heads and tiny body because they've lost all the <laughs> yeah. body weight. You're like the opposite to that. You're literally built like a horrible mutant and you're yeah. going to be running through a, through a desert. So good luck. Hopefully that guy never watches this. <laughs> He'll, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't know who I am now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. Well, I think, yeah, so I imagine I'll carry more than that because I probably need a few bit more food as well. Um, and the benefit to me being a bit heavier is probably that weight won't feel as bad. But uh, yeah, I haven't actually planned, so no idea in terms of logistics or what I'll carry with me. Have you uh, watched the documentary with James Cracknell, where he did uh, Marathon de Sabs? Yes, I have. And he had to cut, what was it, 15 kilo? I think yeah. he had to drop down to the to the low 90s to be able to, to fourth, compete. Right? He came 12th, I think. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. How many times has he done it? I'm not sure. I, I, I remember him the first time he done it, which which is in the documentary on, because he did like hot yoga running and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it's just it's the fact that you carry your water and that's the only water you have for that 50K of that day, it just is, uh, is shocking to me. <laughs> Am I right in also saying that you're rationed to how much you've got on you to be able to, and if you go over that, you actually have a time penalty? Yeah, I believe so. I think if you don't ca if you carry over, uh, I believe it's something like 12, 15 kilos and you start to get penalised for it. So, I, yeah, you're going to see my backpack full of food and uh, yeah. <laughs> you'll see how I've much... only got an hour to get it done. But it might be worth it. How much does a scooter weigh? <laughs> <You> <laughs> if, I've got, if I've got a scooter, <laughs> I've got a scooter, I've got a scooter I've got on that. 
and I'll, I'll take I'll take a few seconds off. I'll be flying past all of you. Not sure how good it will be in the desert, mate. <laughs> Whatever. Big tires, mate. I mean, it's such a hard race. You get penalised if they need to give you like electrolytes, but like they put you on a drip. They give you a time penalty. <laughs> <laughs> you, get, you get a time penalty if you die. So, <laughs> yeah. like, uh, God, we can give you the drip and you survive, or you can have a three-minute time penalty. <laughs> you, you do have to yeah, sign sort, sort of guy. Now, nah, just cut, just kill me, mate. I'm not taking a time hit. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. You do have to sign some kind of waiver about dying. There is something. <laughs> I think the famous thing about it. Yeah, there's some waiver you have to sign that if you die, you know, it's not their responsibility, and they they don't have to sort your body out or something like that. Brilliant. Yeah. I do believe two people have died doing the, uh, the marathon, so... Uh, oh, that's what we know about. Yeah. Bit of motivation, mate. <laughs> Come on, give me more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that we know about, because all the other bodies have been left in the desert, mate. No one knows they're there. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I think it's like when they built the Hoover Dam. They used to always just ship the bodies or let it just sink into the concrete. No, no one died here, don't worry about it. They just left you in the, in the sand, that was it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, statistically, <laughs> thought, more yeah. people have probably died on a ski erg. I'm going to throw out there. Statistically, Maybe. I reckon more have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God knows. I'm sure there will be someone, yeah. Are you looking forward to it now? I am, actually, yeah. I'm really looking forward to that event. It's, it's going to be really fun just to do it. As in, um, yeah, I, I do look forward to doing all these events. And this, this one, although, you know, it's going to be really challenging, I'm just looking forward to experience of being in that environment again and... Uh, just seeing the different cultures. Like I love going around seeing that kind of thing. And that's what I quite enjoyed about the Marines was seeing so many different places of the world. And yeah, the challenge of seeing if you can get through it. I think sometimes I'm quite naive to the challenges, which is actually a good thing because sometimes then it doesn't cause me too much pressure leading into it. Yeah. It's, uh... I mean, that's what Ross Esley said, wasn't it? Be naive enough to start, but uh, stubborn enough to finish. Yeah. <laughs> very true no it's so true though it is so true the the one the one one i did have where i was very naive and i slightly regretted it was i i did an iron man without training so it was a big, de it was yeah. a big debate where i knew some people did an iron man and i said i reckon you could do it without training for it just because i've seen and you probably you guys obviously into that industry you understand it they train so much and have to train so the three different disciplines so much they often end up getting lots of injuries yeah, so I, was exactly. saying, I think it's possible to do it. So I signed up to an Ironman, not realizing that it was like the world championships. So the time domain <laughs> had lowered down. So I think you had to complete it slightly quicker. It was in Frankfurt. And then I remember turning up and I'd borrowed my mate's bike and I turned up to the event, flew over there, the bike and stuff and uh, checked in and stuff. And I remember I went to bed and it was the first time before these challenge, I went to bed and I couldn't sleep. So I was like, I've made a mistake here because I saw everyone else's <laughs> bikes. They're like amazing. And everyone else looked like they're ready to rock and roll. And I ain't got a clue what was going on. And I was sitting, suddenly that realization, I was like, oh, God. But in the end, it was all right. It was tough. It was very, very tough. But it, it, you it had was a bell on your bike. Sorry? <laughs> you had a bell on your bike. No, it wasn't that bad, but it was close. <laughs> a bell in a basket. <laughs> yeah i've got um i've got problems with that bike anyway i've never been able to use it again because uh somehow have you any of you guys cycled before yeah 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 so um the bike wasn't quite the right fit for me so because I, I was sat on there for like seven eight hours Ooh. it pressed into a nerve in my groin area which oh, meant of course I, yeah i lost feeling in my groin area and this is not a joke i lost it for a month and yeah, it took to come back after the event. So yeah, I've had kind of like PTSD from using that bike. So yeah, that's a, that's another story itself. Yeah. Any other <laughs> any other positives from that Frankfurt triathlon? Uh, no, just just any tips. If it, I would say definitely train for it. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I you just so to give you a perspective, I think swim wise, I never I only ever swum maybe like two and a half kilometers, and obviously it's two and a half miles, so it's a big difference cycling i'd only ever cycled half the distance and then the run i'd run a marathon sort of before but uh maybe a proper just put my shoes on and run it would have been about 18 miles so i'd never really run a marathon before and i remember thinking well, i like running i'll be all right and I'm, i i started to swim never swum with a big group before so started swimming everyone started banging into me and i started swallowing the water which then made me puke it up 
And out of nowhere, and there, I never had any pa- I sort of started, I had like a panic attack. I was like, what is going on? So I had to tread, I had to tread water and sort of just try and control, control my breathing. And then I started swimming again. And that was just, it was horrendous because the sun was coming up. It was really early in the morning. And the, the boy you had to, the different boys you had to swim to were orange. So I had no idea where the boys were. And, and I didn't know how to like swim with a group. So I ended up like swimming in a wrong direction. I'd look up and the boy was over another way somewhere. So I probably ended up swimming about five miles, but got on the bike and the bike was actually really good because it was along the German like um, bypass freeway, whatever you call it, but they're autobahn, that's it. So it's just flat, fast. Um, so that was not, that was quite good. and. The only thing I had there, like, I started to cramp up a little bit. So I was just like having salt sachets and trying to eat at each stop and stuff. And I got on the run. I thought, I like running. I literally, I, and where you start running was all the crowd was. I ran about 10 steps and my legs just seized up and I couldn't hardly run. And did I was, you do like, any uh, brick training? No, no, I, I literally nothing. did. I'm, I'm not exaggerating. <laughs> when I, say I literally did nothing in the lead up. Obviously, I did. I trained, but I didn't do any specific training for doing that event. Yeah. So the run was pretty horrendous because it was really hot as well. So there's actually a few people that died doing that event because it was, I think, the hottest Ironman had seen in years. So it was like, wow, it was up towards 40 degrees. So they were giving out ice just to lock down like your, all your kit and stuff just to keep you cool. Um, so it was, it was nasty. I was running past med tents, like hearing people scream and stuff. So I thought, oh, at least I'm not that bad. I can keep oh, no, going. <laughs> but it was pretty, yeah, it was, it was a tough event. Yeah. What time did you finish with? Um, oh, I want to say late 30, 13 hours, something maybe. Maybe wow. seven yeah. hours, 14 hours. Yeah, late 13, I think. I think it was just before the 14 mark, I think. I think, yeah. For I not training, that's, in, that's insane. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so any t- if any listeners wanted to do it, train for it and get a good bike. <laughs> <laughs> I, I backed out doing a half Ironman just training for it. So <laughs> just couldn't stand training for it. I did a 100k bike ride. And I'm like, I'm not doing this again. This is yeah. ridiculous. It's tough training doing those events. It, it, yeah. you know, respect to the guys and, and, you know, they love it. But they, you know, there's a, to sacrifice a lot of time to train for those kind of things. It's, it's gnarly. And it's real. I've got a lot of respect for people that do them. Yeah, totally. So sort of lead me on to, you know, you just said it takes a lot of time to, to train for these sort of things. Um, how do you manage your time? I mean, you're running, essentially, you've got five businesses still at the moment. Um, I know you've got individual people running them. Um, you're, I'm presuming you're still overseeing quite a lot of it at the moment. And you're training for the 24-hour chin-up. And you're training for the marathon. So, you know, what does a typical day look like? Uh, really mixed for me because I hate, uh, I hate sort of set plans. I have a kind of routine I'll follow. Um, but yeah, so I'm a bit weird. I think like I get a lot of my energy really early in the morning and then very late in, in the evening as well. So like, for instance, we're doing this obviously later in the evening, but after I get off this, I'll probably sit and continue working. So, uh, my afternoons where I feel tired. So I tend to try and train then to get through the tiredness and then, and then in the evenings I'll work. Um, I hate just sitting around. So I usually have to be doing stuff anyway. It's very rare that I'll just sit and just do nothing. I have to be on the go constantly. So that sort of thing pays, pays off for me. And then realistically, I've got, I'm just, I'm just a bit nuts. So I just think I'm thinking all the time about work, about everything. So I don't switch off, which is actually part of my problem as well, moving forward. That I need to, need to get control of that and, uh, and be able to switch off a little bit. So in terms of balance in the minute, we're going through the transition. So I'm just helping the new gym owners transition into taking over. So there's a lot of work with that in the background, but all manageable. It's not a huge amount. I'm not like Superman. I'm not doing more than probably all you guys are doing. And then training wise, I think I just allocate a time to train and I'll just do it and I'll commit and I won't think about anything else when I'm doing that. So whether it be chin-ups or whatever, if I'm going to try and free up time to do it, I'll just make sure that I'll work outside of that as well, just as hard. Yeah, I mean, it's very inspiring to watch someone be able to, you know, manage their time and then continue to run businesses and continue to go for these kind of records. I mean, most normal people would do a nine to five and then they're done. It's hard enough to get them into the gym, let alone then deciding they're going to go and break records and and do all this sort of stuff. So it's definitely inspiring to see someone like yourself. Well, thank you, Mary. Well, I think the, the, the big takeaway from it, I think, 
is that can sometimes be the problem for a lot of people when they when they compare and they think oh um oh look at this person who's doing this this and this and stuff and I, I will promise you now i do not do anything more special than any of you guys or anyone else that listens to podcasts I've, you know i don't i've got no secrets i've got you know i have the same stresses the same mental health problems the um, the same limitations, but actually, you know what the biggest thing is just being willing to take the risk and go and do some of it. And the biggest thing I learned in the military was I look back and sometime in the military and I was always scared of failure. So it stopped me trying to achieve something. So, you know, a lot of the stuff I, I look back on and maybe look back and think, oh, I could have done better was big. And all of it was fueled by being scared of failing for some reason. I think I was scared of what other people thought. Whereas I removed that element of it and realize that actually, you know, if I, you know, as an example, we'll, we'll talk up this chin up world record. I'm, you know, there's probably a high likelihood I'm going to fail it, but it doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter if Dave down the road goes, ha, look at him, idiot, failing it. Look, it's giving it large and then failing it. It doesn't matter because I'll be the one that's in it, giving it all, trying my hardest and hopefully take something away from it, whether it be a learning experience or help people. And I think that's the difference between what you would class as maybe someone that's normal or, or, or someone like myself who does some maybe weird different things. It's probably just the, the willingness just to take the step and go for it and then making it enjoyable. So my training, I enjoy doing it. And, and when I don't train, it's because I'm not enjoying training. So I just fall off training if I'm not enjoying it. So it's the two elements there are probably being willing to just to go for it and then making sure whatever process I'm doing, I love it. That's exactly you know what, yeah, that's brilliant. It really is, and that's the, probably the best way of being able to put, yeah, you know, not well, just to you know sum it all up. That's a really good way of being able to put it into words, is to say that, you know, you just do something because you you enjoy doing it. Yep, that one. So on an off day, let's like we've we've spoke about the records, we spoke about all the you know all the interesting endurance sports and things. But what do you do on an off day? What's your go to? You need. You said you don't like sitting around, but is there any anything you do? You're a film guy. You're a, yeah. yeah, I'm a film. Yeah, I'm film. Yeah, I love like one of the things I do and really enjoy doing is a film because I quite immerse myself into the film. So it's my switch off, as in like I don't, you know, I'm not getting messages. I'm not thinking about something. So film, I love films. Yeah, so films will probably be my one. Um, other off days. No, you know what? That's pretty much it. Obviously, amongst eating and uh, to, I wouldn't even say sleeping really because I, I enjoy sleeping, but I don't sleep that much. And then, uh, yeah, that'll probably be it. Nothing, nothing very exciting. There's not like I have little hobbies outside of that. Like I enjoy climbing and doing some different sports that I will often do on off days, which is actually relaxing like for me to go and do. But yeah, I do love a good film. What's, uh, what's like your favourite films? I was about to ask exactly the same thing. Was it hit the top five? What's your top five favourite film? No one can do the top five. You can't do this to us. Just pull it out like that. I'll I'll, I'll, I'll go for some of that. I think. uh, Real quick, I want you to talk about um, climbing because, you know, I've literally done it like once, but I've got a couple of questions on that one. But we'll do the films first. Okay. So I think my um, favourite film would probably. Have you seen Man on Fire? Yes. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I do like a Denzel Washington film. Uh, Man on Fire, other films are things that I like. Um, uh, any Guy Ritchie films. So, you know, like Snatch, Lockstock. Um, what's a new one called? Gentleman. Gentleman is, yeah, really, really good. Love those films. And then maybe something like Layer Cake as well, mm. which is like old school. Um, Daniel, Daniel, Craig, Daniel Craig, yeah. Maybe top five would be those five, yeah. Wow. Very good. So like a pretend gangster. That's what, yeah. That's what <laughs> is that what you're doing in your downtime? That would be when I'm watching films. This <laughs> is this is making any future therapy for your crazy uh, stunts. It's making it all quite easy now. This is where it's all come from. These dodgy films you're watching. <laughs> that's what it is. Yeah, that's what it is. So what what were you going to ask about climbing? Oh, uh, just I just find it like really fascinating whenever I watch things and, and look at the type because. Uh, You've uh, touched on mindset a few times, and I think when you look at extreme sports, extreme conditions, extreme places where people are doing these sports, I think climbing's one that really jumps out to me, and I love watching stuff on it. A couple of years ago, I watched um, Alex Honnold's video we did, sorry, film he made with his um, with, like his climbing friends, um, Free Solo. You must have seen it. Do you, have, do you not think it's just like one of the, the greatest feats that any sports person's ever done? 
Uh, you <laughs> struggle to find more and more. I mean, fair enough. One thing that comes out in the video is this idea of risk. And I love talking about that with people and just the fact that he had like very curved opinion on how like he viewed risk and how he was going to go through. And then you've seen him at the end of the climb, a minute or two under four hours to climb a kilometre of vertical with no ropes. It was just a different level. And I just like loved watching. I was like, there's some psychological things there I want to look at. And I, I don't think I have the tools to sort of unpick it all. You, you cannot even comprehend what he achieved doing that even like you can explain it to someone it's a bit like when you you hear in an advert it's the way the human brain works you hear a, a million people are starving in africa you can't quantify that in your head you just you know and then you forget about it it's the same with this event it's nuts to give you perspective like you said there he climbed uh, over a kilometer high no ropes and and it's not like it's just like a little scramble like this is a vertical climb there's a point halfway up or near just over halfway 600 meters high up it's a dead drop over and he does something called a boulder move where most professional climbers can't do it and he has to use two fingers and then jump across like a few meters across a gap oh. to get to the handhold which is again just like a little crimp which is just like fingertips and he does that from two fingers to fingertips and, and, you know, the likelihood when he was practicing it for months before he was falling on it and yeah. he went and did it with no ropes, bam, got across. I recommend watching it because it will give you the, I thought they videoed it so well, the way they recorded and that. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I, I can understand. Obviously, I know he's got some um, things in terms of the way his body releases adrenaline. Uh, but it's funny enough, we we're having this conversation a few days ago about risk and everyone's different right but so for me and part of the worry say for like for instance my parents or a partner and things is that my naturally I'm going to keep evolving if I complete the next thing I'm going to push it and go harder and go more dangerous more dangerous but in my eyes I genuinely would rather would rather die younger knowing that I've got after and tried to achieve things that made me feel maybe fulfilled or happy than do none of that and just drift along through life until I got older, which actually, you know, isn't the right or wrong thing because some people will be the opposite and be like, he's an idiot. What's he doing that for? I want to live until I'm 80 or 90 or hundred. Um, but it's just the way my head thinks and that, yeah. So I can sort of comprehend where his head comes from in those things. Like, Well, uh, what's that old saying? Some people die at 20, but they wait till the 80 to bury them. So you're just someone that wants to get after it and do some crazy stuff and enjoy it, aren't you? Mm, that's a really good saying, yeah. So he, I just want to know what you know about climbing because that video is just like epic. So, what's it called? What's it called, Chris? Free solo, Kieran, you'd love it. Free solo. Yeah, the way he talks and now he, he goes around and does various talks and stuff. I don't think there's really anything else he can do because Jack just said it's impossible to quantify, but it's impossible to uh, even explain what I did. The way I think of it is he's he's produced an Olympic level performance over four hours when the consequence is absolute death, no matter what. Yeah. And he's, it was just a perfect performance. He's, he's flawlessly achieved his sport where the consequence was death. And I think you talk about difficulty of the climb. They're, they're rated, I think it's like one to like 15. And then there's some letter breakdowns as well. So I think that climb in Yosemite National Park, uh, El Cap is like a 12. There's elements where it's like a 12C, 12D. And it only goes up to like 15. 15 is like, you can't even stay on this thing. It's impossible. Yeah. You can't climb on it. And he's climbed like a 12 or like a, the, the difficult 12s. It's just like unreal. So um, you mentioned earlier, Jack, that um, you uh, you want this as you know, an evolution for you is once you've done something, you're going to go on to the next thing. So have you got any ideas what the next thing is once you've ran the hardest race known to man? I mean, what what is there after that? I've got a list of ideas, mate. Yeah, so I think, um, so I, I love the outdoors. Um, so I want to try and combine the ability and I want to improve my skill set in those environments, which I used to spend a lot of time in. So yes, I've got a list of things. So uh, if you guys are into like, or, or seen any kind of exploration work before, you might have heard, read or heard about the South Pole. And then also, you know, the, the struggles that people like Shackleton and Scott and Munson went through to try and get to the South Pole and you know losing their lives and some you know crazy crazy stories and there's some fantastic books about it 
So yeah, the South Pole is something I'd like to do. There is something called the South Pole Landmass Crossing, which is around a thousand miles. So you start at one end, the landmass, you then go to the South Pole, but then you carry on going through down to the other end. So you go all the way across. Uh, solo, no support. You literally, you drag something called your polk, which is like a sled. And you, you know, you have to survive and it's, you know, months and uh, of moving, trying to just cover distance with no kind oh. of engagements. Sorry? It's months. Yeah, so you, you, you're, you're traveling, uh, I think, on a good day, depending on weather, you'll be doing around 20 miles. So you've got to think there's a thousand miles you've got to get across. No support, so you've got to carry all your own food. So if you run out of food, you run out of food. Um, what, an what animals are you going to come into contact there? None. <laughs> That's crazy. Maybe, quite hostile. Maybe <laughs> yeah, maybe the start, but yeah, none. none. The conditions are too harsh, apparently. So yeah, yeah. Is that not yeah. a warning sign for you? But even the wildlife goes, fuck it, I'm not getting involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. Well, I think that's, you know, the challenge with that is, um, is the ability to deal with the monotony of the, of, the, uh, of the event. So there's only ever been two people that have done it. Um, other people have tried it and they've died doing it or had to get rescued. Some really, you know, crazy stories that I recommend any of you, if you're into it, to listen into and find out about. But it's crazy. So yeah, South Pole is something that really interests me. I think I've been interested at for a long, long time and reading stories of Shackleton and things. I've got a big idea of doing like a challenge, a different challenge in each continent. So that will be something I might be starting to build for in the future, which will be the main thing, which realistically all the stuff I'm currently doing is just training for that is in the big, big event. So looking at things, for instance, like the landmass crossing, uh, potentially rowing down the Nile, swimming, between the North and South Island of New Zealand, uh, climbing Everest. So I love mountaineering. So that's sort of something that I would love to tick off and say I've done. There's some other things like K2 and things that I'd like to tick off with mountaineering, but Everest would be one of them. Um, cycle across America. I'd like to go to the Amazon and trek across the Amazon. Um, so, so there's quite, there's, there's loads there. And the, the idea for me is that each of these different things I do will be a natural evolution of challenge. And another learning experience for me where I'll be put into a vulnerable situation that's high risk. I think one of the things that maybe there's not so much out there at the minute is high risk in terms of these explorations. A lot of them are, you know, you know, they're going to get through it. They've got a big support network. Whereas if I'm carrying my GoPro and, you know, that's pretty much it, there's going to be a lot of high element risk to some of the things I'll do. and maybe very, very physically challenging, which I'm excited to have a go at. The challenge is going to be, like the challenge you may you, you may have seen me doing at the minute is building up a bit more of a media profile i've literally just started but that's the next goal to hopefully enable me to be able to do some of these amazing things and i'll be very lucky if i get to do them and hopefully make a bit of a difference with that so i'm um i think i'm going to speak for the other guys as well that we should never let you and ross edgley in one room together <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe not he's obviously got a lot more experience and, and exposure with all that kind of stuff but Yes, uh, yeah, that you know, that's very much the kind of avenue that I'm, I, I am trying to go down. So you've just come off the back of actually doing a two-day challenge, correct? Yes, yeah, so I did when did a little bit of training. Yes, yeah, so I went down over to the Norfolk coast. So, so what counts as a little bit of training? So I'd just like everyone listeners to actually hear what this was over the two days. Okay, so yeah, so it was, um, I, I basically the, there was, if you're honest, there was no real plan to it. It was very much drive to Sunny Honey and Stanton. I'm sure you guys have all been across there. Oh a yeah, lot of time down been there. there. Never. That's not a Corby thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, so yes, drive over there and then literally kit on. So I had about 20 kilos of kit, backpack and stuff, and just made my way down the coast along. There's like a Norfolk coastal path. Make myself make my way down the coastal path as far as I could that day. Uh, then then set up camp and then try and get back again. So it was more so just to see how I got on with moving uh, that kind of weight again. I haven't done it for a while for over a long time, and then deal with the demoralising factor that as the further I walk out, I've also got to go and try and get back that distance as well. So it plays with your head. So. One of the biggest things with, do, with doing these events is actually training your mind. And that's where people forget because, you know, you think, Jesus, 24 hours. Well, I didn't just jump in and do 24 hours. All the things I've done over time has built and trained my head to deal with those different situations and challenges you face within those kind of endurance things. So, 
yeah, that that was it basically. Uh, it was it was a good chat. It was good. I've actually videoed it all, so we're gonna make, I'm gonna edit it and make it into a, a vlog on YouTube as well. But yeah, uh, I ended up doing about 105 kilometers, I think, in about 20 hours. Yeah, that's so, crazy. Yeah, it wasn't you know it, it wasn't running. I was running, walking probably the first half of the first day, and then after that, it was having to walk because the weight was getting heavy. You know, carrying that kind of weight on your back makes a big difference to whether you can move fast or not. So it was literally just to just just keep going. I would be. I wouldn't just. I'd be crawling or Ubering. Probably just taxiing. Ubering I think, probably sounds good. Well. I think about if there was Uber in Norfolk. Yeah. <laughs> It was it was a good challenge though because by like four obviously by half three four pm it was pitch black and it was literally yeah. in the middle of nowhere and I hadn't seen anyone for hours and it was quite funny because I there was part of the path that was closed so I had to sort of do a different route and I had no maps with me or anything so I started going through and ended up getting stuck in the middle of marshland and it was like late at night and there was no way to camp there because it was everywhere was soaking wet and then I had to try and backtrack out end up climbing over fences through farmers fields and things and managed to get out of it but it was like 11 o'clock at night and then I got to the halfway point I wanted to get to and I was like well you know I couldn't I couldn't set up camp there because it was on a beach and it was literally marshland then just a little bit of beach you can't camp on the marshland because it's soaking wet so your tent would just sink and I couldn't camp on the beach because it was pitch black. I didn't know if the tide was going to come in all the way over the beach, yeah. which would have been funny if I set up and fell asleep. So then I, had, then I had to end up walking for like another four hours after that, three three hours maybe, just to go back eventually to get to a point that I could set up, set up the tent and go to sleep. So, yeah. So for part of your uh, training for this um, marathon, you're gonna be in, are you going to be doing any sort of beach running or anything like that just to try and get the sand on your feet? Yes. Yeah, we'll do. Yeah, I'll try and get onto get onto the beach because it's supposed to be a massive thing. The the two things are the sand and the heat. So the sand apparently the heat and the sand together make your feet expand, which actually I did experience. The hardest thing about yesterday on the walk back, um, probably for the last thirty kilometres, my feet were really painful, and I think it's because my feet swole, were swollen up. So inside my shoes or trainers that I was walking with. They just felt like compressed, so it's really painful. So apparently that's part of the problem. And the other one is sand, you know, as in the effort you have to do to go through it. And then obviously sand just blooming getting everywhere and causing blisters, grazes, all sorts. So is there anything they say about, you know, wearing a, a neck size up in trainer or is it you yes. into that at all? Yeah, they say, yeah, they say wear the next neck size up. And obviously I'm from Russian as well. So that means I have six toes. I was about to say, you've got <laughs> that's, that's another challenge in itself. And then, um, yeah, so, so, uh, so yeah, so you wear shoes a little bit bigger and then you have to wear these, I, I believe you wear these special kind of gaiters that stop sand getting inside your trainers as well. Is that why then when you, you did a little tour of the gym a while ago, is that why you could barely walk and you were limping for the whole thing? Well, uh, where, which one was that for? What was just that like for? a minute ago when you did a tour oh, of the gym. Oh, right. Oh, it's just now. Oh, yeah, I thought you were kind of like, yes. oh, I could barely yeah. walk. Yeah, I'm a bit sore today, to be fair. I was, I, I was bad this morning. It's always the worst bit when you first wake up, isn't it? Oh. So, yeah, so going down the stairs this morning was very sore, but I sort of warmed into it. I feel okay now. And a nice That's thing with right. doing the chin-up challenge means is I can just mug off my legs for a few days now and just do out. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a benefit itself. So is there anything else you'd like to cover? Any uh, other events or anything you've got coming up that you want to speak about? Um, no, I think events-wise, that's it for now. Uh, I wouldn't probably announce anything until I've, I've got it down, but I'm sure we can probably jump on a, you know, and chat again in the future about and review some of the bits we've talked about and what I've done and then I'll hopefully completed. And then we can talk about future things coming up. I suppose, I, I, you know, after you messaged me, I did listen to some of the stuff and the work you guys have done already, which is fantastic. I'm sure it's been a real benefit to other people, but mental health is obviously huge at the minute and i'm seeing it, you know and i suppose the, the the biggest problem you see now is you see people online and you 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 see them living their best life and you probably see the stuff i'm pushing out now and think oh he's looking at what he's doing he's uh, you know he's he's loving it and everything but i'll tell you now i have the same struggles as everybody else with with mental health with staying positive with the challenges that we all face anxiety so, so you're, you're not alone. And I know it's sort of a cliche thing to say, but it is really true. Everyone, you know, you, you aren't on your own. Everyone's going through those experiences. I'm going through them, uh, as I'm sure all of us have the same kind of struggles. So, 
yeah, reach out. Uh, if you, you know, get, come and drop me a message. I, when I released that YouTube video last week, I was really surprised. I had like four or five messages from, from mainly guys just saying about mental health problems they've been, 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 you know, fighting with. So that was really nice to be able to chat to those guys just via messenger and, and hopefully maybe offer them a little bit of advice. But yeah, just because I'm doing some of these crazy things doesn't mean that uh, I'm just as normal as all, everyone else. Yeah, it's something we touch upon quite a lot in the on the podcast is uh, mental health. We've been we have been trying for a few weeks now. Well, actually, for a couple of months, I think, to try and reach out to a couple of mental health experts if we can get someone just do a dedicated podcast to um, mental health. And um, so, if there's anyone listening out there who wants to come on um, and talk about mental health, we'd love to have a professional's uh, point of view. It also gives us somewhere to refer people to if they do have problems. And as Jack just said, then um, you know, reach out. You can, you can catch us on Instagram, you can catch us on YouTube, you can catch Jack, you can catch Scott, you can catch Chris. Um, even if it's just someone to have a chat with because you're feeling a bit low, that's absolutely fine. Um, just you know, drop us a message and we'll, we'll do what we can. And if we can't help you, then hopefully we can put you in the direction of someone who might be able to from a professional standpoint. Anything anyone else would like to add? I'm all good, mate. No, I'm going to go from the no. silence as there's nothing. Yeah. I, okay, I, well. I, I... Sorry, go I, on, need, go. I need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> You've had like an hour. <laughs> so Jack, thank you very much for joining us. So we will do our quick sign off that we always do. So Chris, where can we find you? Mackenzie.strength. Scott, where can we find you? Uh, Scott speaking on Instagram. And a big thank you to our guest this week, which was Jack Fleckney. And where can we find you? You can find me at Jack Fleckney. Cool, and we will put all the links below to for this video, um, so you can go and check out um, Jack and all the work he's doing, and also the charities that he's currently supporting. Uh, you can find me at Let's underscore Talk About It. Uh, you can also go to www.letstalkaboutit.co.uk for all the past podcasts, including PR or Bomb Out, which is hosted by our one and only Scott Carson. Thank you much, very much for watching. Thank you. I'll say that again. Thank you very much for watching, and we will catch you guys again soon.